glad he called my name. Aren't you glad he called you? I'm glad he knows my name. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been awful to have been born into this world, having lived and died? God never called your name, didn't even know your name. Wouldn't it have been awful? And yet he was pleased to come your way and call your name, draw you into you, into himself. And when you called upon Christ, he, he owned you, birthed you into his own family, and you became one of his own. And we're grateful for that. Thank you to Ava, Grace, and the boys. They did good, didn't they? I think I said this maybe Wednesday. Uh, when I came here in 2012, um, we recently, Amanda and I, we thought we were sure, and then we were unsure, and then we thought we were sure as to when we actually came here. We had somebody ask us a question, so I pulled out. I used to carry these old pocket calendars, two-year pocket calendars. And so actually I thought I'd preach here the first Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday night of uh, June in 2012, but I actually preached here in May. And then shortly thereafter, the men got together and had a fist fight, and I come out the winner and uh, wound up being your pastor. And, but I didn't get here until June, mid-June. But I said this recently. When I got here, Hayden, uh, Hayden Jenkins Turnage, is that all right? Hayden, she was first church baby. And when I got here uh, nearly 12 years ago, Hayden was wagging every baby of the church would just pick them up and coddle them and wag them around. And I think it was Wednesday night I said this, and now Ava is doing the same thing. And uh, that's a blessing to see. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter number 5. We appreciate your attendance here today. We have just a few of our people out. So good to have all these visitors. May God bless you for coming our way. The Lord has smiled on us again another Lord's Day. John chapter number 5, it was my intention when I left last Sunday to try to finish John 5, but we won't, we won't finish our look at John 5 today. But I do want to look at the last two sections of John 5 in our reading. I'm interested in the confirmations and condemnation presented by Christ before these religious Jews. Stand with us, please, if you will, uh, as you find John 5, verse 30. We're going to read to the end of the chapter, just a few verses of Scripture. We will not cover them all, but you'll remember the context as we give you just a little bit of review here shortly. John chapter 5, beginning verse 30. I can of mine own self, now this is the Lord himself speaking. I can of mine own self do nothing as I hear I judge. My judgment is just. Because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now that's interesting, isn't it? This is the Lord himself saying this. This is interesting. What is he saying? Verse number 32 and following. There's another that beareth witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. You send unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. He, speaking of John, he was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish the same works that I do. The, the, excuse me, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. 
You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And you have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent him, you believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. And you will not come to me that you might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Thank you for standing. Confirmations and condemnation pronounced by the Lord Jesus Christ. We've divided the chapter into four. It depends on who you'd read after. You've probably got study Bibles in your laps. And, and it depends on, um, if you've got a study Bible, how they divide the chapter for you. I believe there are four large movements really to the chapter. We've tried to give you those. We, of course, dealt with the healing in the first part of the chapter. Uh, our first look, this is our fifth look, I think it is, from John 5. This is our 41st look at the life of Christ, the scenes from uh, the life and now ministry of Christ. In verses 1 through 16, the religious leadership of the Jews made charges against uh, the Lord Jesus. Jesus healed an impotent man on the Sabbath day. And, and because of that, and two, he claimed that God was his father. They saw him as a threat. He was not perceived as a threat because... He came up with something new. He did what Old Testament prophets did. Uh, that is, he, uh, he just called people back to the Scriptures, right? There's a lot of uh, religious jargon of the day that people had bought into and embraced. There were traditional teachings taught of man, uh, especially in the Jewish. The oral traditions had been passed down as the very Word of God, been passed off as such. And what Jesus did was he called them back to the Scriptures, as a matter of fact, you'll remember in the Sermon on the Mount, the first chapter, chapter number five, you remember five times. He said, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, but I say unto you. And he got to the heart of the matter, which was the matter of the heart, somebody said. And that is, he dealt with uh, the very root of sin in their lives and in your life and in my life. So what he did was he called men to the scriptures and called them to the scriptures rightly uh, divided. He exposed their hypocrisies. And then in verses 17 to 29, there's the declarations made by the Lord Jesus before this Jewish leadership. They are angry Jewish leaders. Again, he's broken tradition. He has broken their Sabbath, not the Father's Sabbath, not his own Sabbath, but he's broken their Sabbath. He's broken the rules that they had attached to God's Sabbath. And we're bad about that. As a matter of fact, Baptist preachers have called it in Baptist churches sacred cows that we're willing to die for, things that are not found in the Bible, but we're willing to fight and complain and bicker and uh, over and such like that. Things that are essential to the faith are the doctrinal matters. Jude called it uh, the faith. He didn't say faith. Faith is belief and trust. He didn't talk about the gift of faith. That's mentioned in the book of First Corinthians. But Jude said that we should earnestly contend, that is, sweat profusely to defend, to contend. We should earnestly contend for the faith. 
The faith is the body of truth contained from Genesis 1-1 to the amen that closes the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus called everyone back to that. Today I want to look at part, and next time we look into the life of Christ, we'll look at the remaining part of the confirmations of Christ's person. These confirmations are testimonies. I'll review them for you and just look at one of them today. These confirmations are testimonies regarding uh, Christ's person, that is, his deity. Verses 38 through 47, your final division, uh, you'll find the condemnation. These Jewish religious leaders, he condemned them. He said, you're not even saved. And he said, if you'd received the word of God, if you had uh, believed the word of God, then you would have believed me. If you believe the Father, you would have believed me. If you would have believed these testimonies that, that, uh, that the Father has sent, you would have received me. But you've rejected me. And so he deals with that. You remember we said about them they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. They looked good on the outside. They were whited sepulchers, but they were full of dead men's bones. You remember what had taken place. There was a man that had been healed. He'd been a cripple for 38 years. That does not mean he was 38 years of age. He'd been a cripple for 38 years. And he had been by the pool of Bethesda where there were five porches, five colonnades, five patios, if you will. It's where they had been built so that men and women could get in out of the sun. And you remember Jesus healed the man. There were many there that day, but he only healed that man. And rather than people rejoicing, these Jewish religious leaders, they criticized Christ. As a matter of fact, they... They were repulsed that he would heal on the Sabbath day. But they would have been repulsed if he had healed on the first day or the second day or the third day of the week. They were repulsed at Christ altogether. You remember last, uh, last look into the life of Christ here out of John chapter number 5. We noticed these declarations made by the Lord Jesus before this Jewish leadership. As a matter of fact, these declarations that he makes, these claims, these testimonies that he gives... And this pronouncement of judgment upon uh, these religious leaders, it's one of the greatest Christological discourses in all the Word of God. And Jesus himself gives us uh, this discourse about his own self, about about himself, about his own person. Verses 17 and 18, just to remind you, uh, Jesus declared his equality uh, with the Father in his person. You remember verses 19 to 29. Christ made declarations about him, himself with authority. You remember he used three double verilies. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you. There are 25 double verilies in all the Bible. And every one of them are unique to John's gospel. The double verily is a double emphasis. It's a special emphasis. It's given by Christ in order to draw attention to what is being stated. When he said, verily, verily, it's the same as saying, truly, truly. Are the same as saying amen, amen, or of a truth, of a truth. And, of course, what truth he gave to them. Under that heading, in verses 19 to 23, Jesus declared his oneness or his unity with the Father. You remember, if you'll glance back with me at verse number 18, preceding this passage, you remember the Jews sought to kill Jesus, number one, because he'd healed the man on the Sabbath. Number two, the Bible says, because he said, verse number 18, God was his Father, and thus made himself equal with God. But the truth of the matter is you cannot separate the Father from the Son. And you cannot separate the Son from the Father. And though it's not in the text, it is in the, the context of Scripture. You cannot separate the Father from the Son and the Spirit. You can't separate the Son from the Father and the Spirit. 
You can't separate the Holy Spirit from God the Father and God the Son. They're three in one, and one in three, and the one in the middle died for you and me. We're grateful for that, are we not? And, uh, but the unity, the divine unity, the divine oneness, there's no jealousy, there's no rivalry in the Godhead. Just to skim back over in verse number 19, the Father and the Son, Jesus said, work together. Verse number 20, the Father loves the Son. Verse number 21, the Father and the Son alike raise the dead spiritually. Verse number 22, the Father has committed all judgment unto the Son. Verse number 23, the Father and the Son are both to be honored. Even in our world, everybody's religious, right? Everybody thanks God for the rain and the sunshine, and everybody thanks God for something on their table. But if you deny the Son, you've denied the Father. You're talking to and speaking of a generic God of your own imagination. God the Father is honored in our honoring of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus declared his oneness with the Father, verse 19 through 23. In verse number 24, he gives this other double verily, the second one, and he declared himself to be the Messiah, the Savior. He is the sent one. And there's only one. The Baptist church cannot save you. As a matter of fact, the Baptist church lets you die and go to hell, like the Methodist church and every other church. Uh, Jesus Christ is the one that has saving virtue and saving grace to offer to the sinner. The third double verily begins, verse 25 through 29, of course. And Jesus there declared resurrection truth. He let us know that a resurrection day is approaching. It's approaching for the just. and There's one approaching for the unjust. That is, there's resurrection day approaching for those who are saved. And then there's a resurrection day approaching for those who are lost. In verse number 29, you note the phrase where it talks about the saved that will be... Uh, will experience the resurrection of life, verse number 29. Uh, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. He's not saying there that we're saved by works, but what he is saying is the works of those who are saved is counted as good. It's counted in the plus column for Christ's sake. And those works, according to 1 Corinthians 3, 13 to 15, are going to be tried by fire one of these days to see what is real and what is not real. Then he mentions the lost will experience the resurrection of damnation. Verse number 29, they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. Consider with me these these validations, these confirmations of Christ's person. Verses 30 through 37, you'll find these. These validations, again, they're testimonies presented regarding Christ's person. If Jesus is not who he says he is, then we are yet in our sins. If he is not who the Bible declares him to be, we are yet lost without God, without hope in this world and in the world to come as well. He makes these claims and he summons these witnesses before these Jewish leaders. The general theme of the last part of this discord is that of rejection. These Jewish leaders have rejected, though they were religious, they had rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And in order to do that, as he presents these testimonies, friend, he's letting them know, in order for you to go to hell, you've got to walk over my testimony. You've got to walk over John's testimony. You've got to walk over the testimony of God the Father. You've got to walk over the testimony of Moses. You've got to walk over the the evidence of the Scriptures. You've got a lot that you've got to walk by in order to die and go to hell. Have you ever thought about it like this? In order for you to die and go to hell today, friend, I mean, it's going to be pretty tough for you to get around some things. Now, I used to preach on hell. 
uh, a lot in revival services. Matter of fact, I'd preach it 15, 20 times a year for a number of years. And, and I used to say, if you just got your mind made up, you're going to reject Christ. There's some things you ought to stay away from. You ought to stay away from a Bible like we read from. You'll fool around the world or twist you up one side and down the other, and you'll wonder where you're headed. Fool around, pick your Bible up, and it'll begin reading. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You used to say this, if you're going to die and go to hell, you ought to stay away from singing, like we hear in our Baptist churches. Somebody fool around and talk about being saved and headed to a better land, headed to the city of God. You'll fool around and go to wanting to, wanting to go there. You ought to stay away from prayers that have been offered, like in a service like this. You ought to stay away from preaching like this. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It was through the preaching of the Word of God I realized myself a sinner condemned before God and yet realized God had provided sacrifice on the cross of Calvary and sending His only begotten Son to shed His blood for my sin. All I had to do was plead for mercy. And uh, He did all the suffering. I got all the mercy. What a... Uh, what, a, what an exchange that is. Uh, these Jewish leaders, they rejected Christ. And, uh, and they, they, have to, uh, they have to willfully ignore. It's a, it's a matter of your will that you reject Christ. You willfully ignore. They had to willfully walk Christ by and ignore him. Their rejection was inexcusable. Once you look, if you will, at verse number 31, I'll show you a biblical principle. Uh, we just kind of paused here while we were reading our text. The rejection of these religious their rejection of Christ, it was inexcusable as it is with all men, all women, all boys and girls. It's inexcusable. You don't have an excuse. You will not have an excuse when you're summoned to stand uh, before the bar of God. There would be no excuse. The Lord Jesus has paid the sin debt. All you've got to do is come to him and cast yourself upon the mercy of the Lamb of God. Now, that's your part in it all. He'll open your heart, but it's your responsibility then uh, to respond to him. Watch this. Now, now, their rejection was inexcusable because of the abundance of testimony that Christ is going to offer here. Now, watch this biblical principle in verse 31. He said, if I bear witness of myself, in other words, if I stagger on to the scene just talking about me, watch what he says. He said, if, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. What's he saying? Taken in context of the Bible, he's saying, my witness is not valid. If all you get is my word, if that's all you've got to listen to is my word, then it's not valid. You don't have to believe me. There's no ground, no legal ground, no spiritual ground, no moral ground. You, you don't have to believe me. He said, if I come speaking of myself, then my witness is not true. It's not valid. Now, that come out of a biblical principle from the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to it. It's also shared beyond the Gospels, and then Jesus shared it in the Gospels. Did you know in order for us to offer testimony against one or the other, or to offer testimony for anything, we're to have two or three witnesses? Listen to the book of Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. Here's where this principle is born. Deuteronomy 19, verse number 15. The Bible says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity, or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses, do you see that? At the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. Listen to what Jesus said again. He said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness will not stand. It is not valid. It is not true. You don't have to receive it. 
He said in the mouth of two or three witnesses, and he's going to summon several uh, witnesses to verify that he is who he is. Now, Paul, carried that, um, Paul carried that biblical principle over. 1 Timothy 5.19, he said against an elder, receive not an accusation but before two or three witnesses. Listen to what Jesus said when it comes to exercising church discipline. Now, we use, uh, we use these verses I'm about to read to you out of Matthew chapter uh, number 18, if you want to find them. We use one of these verses to kind of stand upon when we, uh, maybe the weather's bad and everybody stayed home and we don't have but a small crowd. We'll say, well, you know, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together, I'm there in the midst of them. In context, he was talking about church discipline. And watch what he says in Matthew 18, if you're following along with me. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20. Moreover, thy brother shall trespass against thee. Go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee, watch this, one or two. The one would make two of the party. Two would make the three that was established in Deuteronomy. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained a brother. Verse 16. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Verse 17 of that passage. And if he shall neglect to hear them, uh, tell it to the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, let him uh, be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily, truly, he says, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What's he saying? He's saying, you take your stand and we'll stand with you. You take your stand on earth and we'll stand with you in heaven. We will stand behind you. Watch verse 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that you shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Same context. And then he says, for where two or three are gathered together, there's enough to establish witness and testimony. He says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of every bit of that. Now, that's what he's saying. So when Jesus says that if he comes speaking of himself all by himself, you don't have to believe him. It's not valid. You, you, don't, have to leave, you don't have to believe that. But watch what he does. Verses 32 through 35. Let me give you a rundown. We're going to touch on one of them today. Watch what he says here. He's going to present several witnesses that will validate his claims as to who he is. Verses 32 to 35. We will read them in a moment. Verses 32 to 35. There's the witness of John the Baptist. Verse number 36. The witness of his own works. Verse number 37. The witness of God the Father. Verse number 39, the witness of all the scriptures. And then in verses 45 through 47, the witness of Moses. The evidence is overwhelming. So that's why I say the rejection of Jesus is inexcusable, friend. He leaves all of us without excuse. He is the Lord of glory. He is the righteous branch. He is the Holy One from God. He is the one that's altogether lovely. He is the, sp the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, in whom was no vile, found in Him either. Beloved, He is the Son of God. Now, there's the rejection of Christ. Now, their rejection of Christ, it is inexcusable. If you reject Christ, and death claims you in that rejection, then hell's going to keep you there until the great white throne judgment. Then further judgment will be pronounced where the books will be opened. You say, preacher, I don't believe the books. doesn't change a thing. Uh, people have been trying to get, away, get rid of the books for a long time. And uh, nobody can do such a thing. So the books give testimony to it. 
Their rejection was intentional. Look at verse 40 of our text. Verse number 40, and ye will not come to me that you might have eternal life. You see what he said? I'm sure he looked them right in the eye and he said, you won't come, will you? You just will not. It is intentional. It is volitional. You have refused the facts. You have refused my person. You refuse deliberately. You've rejected me. You refuse uh, to accept who I am and to receive my work and uh, what the Father has sent me to do. Their rejection of Christ was inexcusable. Their rejection of Christ was on purpose. It was intentional. And so it is with everyone who rejects Christ. And then their rejection of Christ was very revealing. First of all, it revealed their love of self more than love of Christ. Verse 42, he said, but I know you, that you have not the love of God in you. Many people present themselves as being pious and loving God and being Christ-honoring. Many people present themselves like that. But Jesus said, I know you. I know you. The world, you may have fooled the world, but I know who you are. I know what's in your heart, and I know what's not in your heart. And he said, what's not in your heart, fellas, is the love of God. Because if the love of God were in your heart, you would have received me. You would know who I am. And I'm going to tell you, you let somebody, you let somebody come to Christ and the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. I mean, you can't help yourself. God will just break everything about that old man and begin to work on building a new man. Uh, once that person comes to Christ, he said, I'll tell you what your problem is. You don't have the love of God in you. That's your problem. He said, I know who you are. I know what you are. The rejection of Christ was very revealing. It revealed they loved self more than they loved Christ. It revealed they were filled with pride and would not bow to Christ. That's the heart of apostasy. That's been in my heart now for some time. That's the heart of unbelief and, and apostasy, isn't it? I mean, just will not, just refuse to bow to the lordship of Christ. I mean, that's at the heart of everybody that will die and go to hell. Just refuse to bow to the lordship uh, of Christ. Do you know I was talking with a, a preacher? I was talking with a preacher uh, just a few days ago, and, and, and we were leaning on one another about this old flesh and how wicked and corrupt this old flesh is. You know, sometimes we'll say, well, if I know anything about my heart, you don't know your heart. According to what Jeremiah wrote, the heart is wicked, uh, uh, desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? And uh, we don't know our own hearts. You remember when you remember when Elimelech and Naomi took the boys, Malan and Chilean, left Bethlehem, Judah, the house of bread, the house of praise, and the house of plenty. They went to Moab. The Bible calls it God's washpot. It was an accursed people and an accursed place. And you remember what they said? They said, we're empty. We're not getting anything in Bethlehem, Judah. Well, my goodness, they were at the house of bread. They were at the house of praise. They were at the house of plenty. But they said, we're not getting anything. So we're going to move down to Moab, God's washpot. And you remember what took place? Three of the four wound up dying. And that they sinned the sin unto death if we believe the Bible. You know, eventually what happened? Some unnamed person visited down in Moab and said, you, said, you know what? They're having revival back up there in Bethlehem. Said, God has visited his people and giving them bread. They went through a season of time. It was just a famine up there. It was dry as a shuck. There was nothing to be found. They had to scrape to get by, make themselves go to get by. But said, now 
God has visited his people and given them bread. And you know when Naomi went home, you remember what they said? I mean, she looked like herself, but she didn't look like herself. She had the marks of, uh, she had the marks of sorrow and grief all over her. But her gait was the same. She looked, she was of the same stature. And the women at the beginning of barley harvest, there she and her daughter-in-law, uh, there they come back into Bethlehem. You remember what the ladies asked? They asked, is this Naomi? Naomi means pleasant. They said, is this Naomi? Is this who we think this is? You used to, used to gather for worship with us. If this, is this who we think? She said, call me not Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. She said, call me Mara. She said, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. Now listen to what she went on to testify. She said, I went out full. She said, it was a famine, but I was full. I was in the best place for me. I went out full, but, I, but God hath brought me home again empty. You, you see, uh, these people would not bow to Christ. They would not bow because they loved self more than they loved Christ. They would not bow because they were filled with pride and would not bow to him. Uh, apostasy and unbelief is a rejection of Christ and sometimes even as believers we can turn our back on him for a span of time just as we were mentioning Naomi uh, doing, doing just that very thing would you agree with me we live in a very narcissistic society I'm talking about a self-absorbed society if you don't believe it I don't have much social media what I do have I just don't spend a lot of time on it probably I, maybe I need to I do keep up with some prayer requests and Keep up with some friends along the way. And, and uh, there's some folk who keep up with me through that, uh, through that uh, means. But do we not try to present to this world a, a fairytale image of who we are and what our life is about? Let me tell you who we are. We're sinners. We're trying to get through this walk of life. We're, we're seeking the grace of God, those of us who are saved. And, and we want those who are not saved to find the grace of God. But we present this, am, uh, this image, uh, this living a life of make-believe somehow. Did you know that the latter days, and we are living in the last of the last days, would you agree with that? Do you know what the, Paul wrote to Timothy about and said about that? Listen to what he said in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. He said, this know also, he said, I'm going to bring you in the know, Timothy, regarding the last days. He said, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. They're coming, Timothy. In the last days, the farther you get, the closer you get. To the Lord Jesus and his return for his bride, Timothy. He said, the last days, that perilous times shall come. That means dangerous times shall come. Have you taken measures around your place in rural America to protect your family? I have. And I'm sure you have too. I'm not ashamed of that. You shouldn't be ashamed of that. I'd protect my family in a heartbeat if I can get to the means necessary to protect my... I mean that. I would do whatever's necessary. As a matter of fact, a preacher friend of mine were in Taylorsville, North Carolina about three years ago, right in front of the little, uh, the little shell station. Some of you that's been to the camp meeting, you know right where it is. And there's a young man and a young lady walked the sidewalk going toward the store. And the preacher that was sitting in my pastor's seat, he said, Brother Kevin. And when he said, the man made a lunge at me. And then he backed off as though it was some joke. That's not a joke to me. He was a stranger. I didn't know him. We felt like, we both felt like, had I not turned when I turned, he meant harm for me and for the other preacher. Now, I'm going to tell you, we are living in dangerous times. We're living in times where men, men have no regard for life. They don't have any regard for your children, your children's safety. They have no regard for what you've worked hard and honestly you've purchased. They have no regard for you. 
Uh, they are blasphemous people. They are slanderous people. They are self-absorbed people. Listen to what Paul went on to write. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Listen to the first thing he listed. He said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. That's what got us in this mess. Did you know that? That's what got us in the mess we're in as human beings in society. Eve uh, cared more for herself than she did for God and his word. And that'll get you in trouble and me in trouble every time. I know what Freudian psychology and every other kind of psychology that is worldly, man-made, will tell you, and that is to love yourself first. I want to tell you, Jesus loved us unto death. He loved us unto the cross and taught us to do the same thing. He said, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Listen to what he said. Uh, covetous, boasters, uh, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinence, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And he said, from such, get away from them. He said, turn away from them. That was his wording. Look at verse 44. He asked this question, how can you believe which receive honor one of another? Trying to bolster one another. Looking under one another's philosophies and ideas. Look at verse number 44. How can you believe which receive honor one of, uh, of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do you know it's pride that keeps a man from Christ? It is pride that has taken multitudes to hell. It is pride that will drag multitudes into the charred walls of the damned even this day. It is pride that will cause a multitude of whole hosts to be cast from the great white throne judgment into the lake of fire one of these days. You remember the first Christian martyr? His name was Stephen. We read about him in the book of Acts chapter 7. You remember? He was stoned unto death. Unto death. You remember what he said? He was preaching to them, wasn't he? He was preaching Christ unto them. Our message has never changed. Our, our, our message is Jesus Christ. I like the way Troy Montgomery puts it. I heard him say this many years ago. He said salvation is Jesus Christ plus nothing, minus nothing. Do you know our message is that simple? Jesus Christ, our Lord, as Savior plus nothing, minus nothing, no works, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. I love that. Jesus Christ plus nothing, minus nothing. Listen to what Stephen said about their flesh. Listen to what he said. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. Listen to how they responded to that. Rather than saying, Stephen, let's talk about that. You know what they did? Listen to verse 54 of the same chapter. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were offended at it. Cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Do you know man will do strange things when it comes to resisting God and, and turning from God? Did you know these Jewish leaders that Jesus is preaching to on this occasion? Do you know they'd rather die in their sins? They'd rather do that than bow to Christ and come to Christ. They love self more than Christ. They were filled with pride, would not bow to his lordship. They love darkness rather than light. John chapter 3 John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, speaking to Nicodemus. Jesus said, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world. And men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You don't think this world despises the light? 
Talk to this world about abortion being murder. Talk to this world about a man should marry a woman. Or a woman should marry a man. Or God made them male and female. He made him a he and he made her a she. Talk to the world about that. You'll find out how much they despise. And they reject and they hate the light. I'm going to tell you just common sense. Uh, uh, Even alley cats have got better sense than human beings have got, right? I'm telling you, alley cats don't do what the homosexuals do in our day. You know I'm telling you, right? You know who that would offend? That would offend only those who reject the light of the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Notice with me verse 32 to 35, and I'll try to get to the end of this. Brian Ard picked at me, talking about social media. He picked at me the other day about, uh, I forget something, maybe where a preacher says, and finally, and then there's a span of time. And, uh, and uh, I've got the Apostle Paul on my side. In, in the book of Philippians, he said, And finally, my brethren, he did it twice. Amen. So I've just given you one this morning. Look with me at verses 32 to 35. Notice the witness that Jesus mentions. The witness of John the Baptist. Watch this. Verse 32 to 35. He says, Here's my testimony. I'm not going to just offer testimony. Not just me. You remember that? Verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not valid. It is not true. Uh, it, is, it is not relevant. You see that? Verse number 32 to 35 now. He says, There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of, of, of me is true. You send unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I, receive, uh, but I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, but you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. They knew he had been sent from God, right? Sure, they knew he had been sent from God. John chapter 1, if you want to turn back to the left, won't take but just 20 seconds to do this part. And it's not even in the final, finally, brethren. Amen? Look at verses 6 through 8. Notice what John writes about him, the apostle John. Notice what he writes about John the baptizer. He said in verse number 6 through 8 of John 1, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Let's read on down through verse 11 or 12. Verse 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. You ought to underline that verse. You know, if a man dies and goes to hell, he will not be able to say, I had no light at all. Do you know, I'm telling you, according to Romans chapter number 1, and according to places in the Word of God, God gave you a conscience. And you got sense enough to know, unless you have a seared conscience, that there has to be an architect. There has to be a creator. And if you'll call out unto God, David Barnett in a back alley in Chicago, Illinois, laying on a mattress that had been thrown out in that alley, pretending like it was a ship on the ocean, took a stick, pretended like he was paddling on the ocean, laid back, he said, with his hands behind his head. And he said... Whoever you are that made all this, I sure would like to know you. Now, I'm telling you, there was a series of events that got him from Chicago to his daddy's house to hear his uncle preach. When he was about 19 years of age, he was saved by the grace of God. He said, after he was saved, he said, God took me all the way back to that time when I laid back as a little seven, eight-year-old boy and said, God, whoever you are, wherever you are, I sure would like to know you. And God got the gospel to him. You remember Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, a Gentile? He was, he was fasting. He was praying. That wasn't counted for good for him. That didn't get him any favors with God. He wanted to be honorable unto God. And you remember what happened. God awakened a burden in the heart of Simon Peter and sent him to him to preach the gospel. Old boy got saved that day. 
And his wife got saved and his children got saved by the grace of God. God likes every man that comes into this world. And if you want more rights, you can have it today. You're rejected and hell will be your home. I won't go and read these other verses. The witness of John included preaching. Those of you visiting, now we don't let out in 15 minutes. Amen. I hadn't got 15 more in me, but we'll get through in a minute. We'll get finished in a minute. I got one shot at them on Sunday. And I want to make it count. I want to make it stick. Somebody say amen right there. So you Methodists, sometimes y'all beat us to the restaurant. I'm sorry. We'll get in there after a while and get our share. The witness of John the Baptist included preaching. John was a preacher. He came on the scene preaching. He didn't get his sermon off the internet. He got it from the Word of God. He got it from the Spirit of God. He got it from God. He was a voice crying in the wilderness. He came preaching repentance. He came preaching judgment. He came preaching Christ. John came preaching. He came baptizing. This baptism was an outward sign of inward repentance. And that's what we're going to do right back here in a few minutes. Luke Wilder will be baptized. And Johnny and Wanda, what a night that was. Iced in. And when you couldn't get out, the Spirit of God made a way into your son. And now here we are, as he offers testimony to the world, as he goes in that watery grave and stands back up. It's, a, it's an identification of the death, his identification of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He's saying to the world, I believe. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's what Paul said. John's baptism was a testimony. Those that he baptized, they they were given testimony of inward repentance and belief in God. John's baptizing of converts. John's baptizing of Christ. We don't have time to deal with it. If you remember, John balked on Jesus. He said, I shall. I shouldn't be doing this. You ought to be baptizing me. And he said, John, thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. He said, John, this is what righteous people do. I've come to identify with you, John. You're going to baptize me. And I'm going to identify with the likes of you and everybody else that will come to me. And John baptized him in the muddy Jordan. He came to prepare the way for Christ. He's Christ's forerunner. We owe a debt. Just think about this this morning. We owe a debt to John's preaching. John's preaching foreshadowed so many elements of our faith today. Christ's deity, Christ's atonement, the Holy Spirit and his work, the kingdom of God, sin, repentance, and baptism. John the Baptist is not caveman John that the Baptist church has tried to make him out to be. He was always on point, theologically correct. Preached on the atonement of Christ. Preached on the propitiation of sins. He preached on the preeminence of Christ. He preached on the preexistence of Christ. He said, He was before me. He said, I was born before him, but he is around before I was around. Thank God for John's preaching. He's an unusual character, wasn't he? Sure, he was. He didn't go out and find the people, they came and found him. You didn't have a nice church. Anything like that, he's in the desert. Matter of fact, Christ's ministry was in the northern part of Israel where it was lush and green. John's was in the south part of Israel. Desert, dry, barren. Uh, John and his preaching. You know what he preached? He preached, Behold the Lamb of God 
which taketh away the sin of the world. You're carrying and you're under the burden of sin. We should listen to the words of Miss M.J. Harris. She penned the words to, he took my sins away. Listen to the words. I came to Jesus, weary, worn, and sad. He took my sins away. His wondrous love has made my heart so glad. He took my sins away. The load of sin was more than I could bear. He took it all away. And now on him I roll my every care. He took it all away. No condemnation have I in my heart. He took my sins away. His perfect peace he did to me in part. He took my sins away. If you will come to Jesus Christ today, he'll take your sins away and keep you happy in the narrow way. He'll take your sins away. Listen to what he preached. He preached on the deity of Christ. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. And he is the Son of God. There's the witness of John. There's the witness of Christ's own works. Verse 36, the witness of God the Father. 37, 39, the witness of the Scriptures. 45 to 47, the witness of Moses. The witness of Moses. And it all goes back, friend. And it's put on you and put on me to verse 24. We'll close right here today. Jesus said in this second of his two verilies, double verilies, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Right now, hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You know what I think about uh, just now? My mom, and I, and I wouldn't say this in any way to disparage my mother. Um, there were a couple of times she wanted us all to do better in our home. There were a couple of different times years ago when I was a child. Me and my oldest sister were just a little boy and a girl and she would take us to Horton Memorial Baptist Church and we'd go for a few months and then then we'd stop going and I was talking about the witness of the conscience I, I can remember as a little boy not knowing much about God I, I can remember knowing that when the Bible was read it, it was the word of God your conscience bear witness with you like that when you were little I got into meanness when I was uh, probably between 12 and 13 up until about 19. I'm not proud of this. Last time I got in trouble with the laws when I was 18 years of age. And, but I never got into trouble around a church, church grounds, a church building. Well, if you'd want to whip me, we'd walk across the road and you'd have to do it over there. You could just whoop me over there. You wasn't going to do it on the church. I wouldn't have dare defiled a church building or grounds. I remember knowing there was more to my life. And I remember knowing that there was a peace that was missing in my life. I remember that. I remember those couple of times where there was a few months of witness when my mama took us to church and I'd hear the gospel. Brother Ben Hill was preaching back in those days. Brother Ben Hill. He was the pastor at Hort Memorial when I was a little boy. He had preached so hard the gospel and begged people to come to Christ. And that witness stayed with me. Just shy of my 23rd birthday, I was saved February the 9th of 1990. I remember wanting peace. I wanted it resolved. Never could find peace. Tried to find peace. Made empty promises. Wanted to do better. Couldn't do anything to help myself. And I'm telling you, when I cast myself on the mercy of the Son of God, He fixed that. 
The night I was saved, it was at a youth lock-in at Harrisburg Baptist Church. Matter of fact, I was playing the set of drums for two gospel groups. And I had gone over there to help a young group out of Buchanan Baptist Church under conviction. Greg Herndon preached the gospel. He warned us about hell and showed us the way of escape, that being Jesus Christ. And there at the back of that crowd, behind a bunch of kids, I asked the Lord if he would be merciful and save me and forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and my Savior. And he did it. My life has been changed ever since. He did it. I'm doing now what I've been doing for 32 years in the ministry. God changed me, changed my life. He'll do that for you today. He'll take your sins away, whoever you are. He'll take your sins away. Charge them off to the cross and let you go free. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we go to the Lord in prayer. Miss Angie, if you'll make your way to the piano.